while you're here on a snowy day. You must love Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, worship team, for setting the table. Amen. You may be seated. Preparing our hearts. Well, over the next, uh, the last couple of weeks and the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing a lot about getting involved at Warden Church, if you're not already, and there are a lot of people involved. And uh, one of the things that Pastor Connie has been uh, talking to us about is shape, and she's been advertising it, but uh, I thought we would uh, ask her to come on up here and give us one more plug for this. Thank you. Pastor Orlando, Pastor... Connie, people that are the glue that hold this place together. Amen? <laughs> well, there's lots of people that do that. Thank you. And we're thankful for them. And so, uh, whoops, we're going to be talking about membership in a while. And if you're a part of this church, uh, membership times are coming, uh, membership Sunday, uh, Sunday is coming up. And, but there's shape. And, and the more I hear about shape, the more excited I would get if I had never been a part of this material before. So, Pastor Connie, tell us about shape. What do you have in your hand there and all that stuff? Okay, yeah, I'm very excited about this class. And I think it's so important that all of us uh, participate and, and get to know exactly what shape we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have some needs here at the church, and some of them, um, just to list them off, in children's ministry, we need some preschool workers, we need ushers, greeters, Cafe Connect people, parking lot attendants. On the worship team, we need musicians and singers. And in t- the tech team, we need sound, cameramen, and people uh, for media. So there's a lot of needs, but we don't just want people to fill the needs. What we want is for the people who are here to find out where they're best suited so that they can be fulfilled and fruitful in that ministry. And that's what this class is all about. And we have lots of these shape kits out at the front desk. I'm going to be there at the end of the service if you're interested. And through these kits and the class, you learn about all sorts of things about yourself, your spiritual gifts, your personality, your heart, your experiences, mm-hmm. all of those things together help you find out where you're best suited to serve. So if you'd like to be a part of the class, come see me after and sign up, and uh, it's just going to be a really fun time together. Well, thank you. And, you know, when I look through the material, I'm wondering, how can you jam all of that in? We, you won't be bored. <laughs> You know, as I've done different things, like Pastor Connie is going to be presenting and uh, that day, there are, there are times in my life when I have looked at the spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit has said, see, that's your primary gift. That's why you can do that, and it's easy for you, but somebody else tries to do it, and it's like a square peg in a round hole, something like that. But it's just wonderful, and uh, she's put lots of work into this. And I encourage you, if you've never been to shape, to do it. You'll find out what your giftings are. And then hopefully, if you're a part of this church and you want to become a member, you'll take an opportunity on Membership Sunday. You'll hear more about that at the end of the month. So God bless you. Thank you for coming out today. Thank you for, even though you listened to the weatherman, (laughs) you came out anyway. It took me a little while to get home on Thursday, you know. I had to go to Oakville. Or no, it was Wednesday, wasn't it? Wednesday. It, had, it took me a little while to get there. And uh, when I, oh no, it didn't take any time to get there. It took me a little while to get back to home, uh, like about seven hours. 
But then my doctor that I went to see, he uh, texted me the next day and said, how'd you make out? I'm in Oakville and I just had to go over the Skyway Bridge to Stony Creek and it took me two and a half hours. <laughs> I said, oh, not that bad. I had actually seven hours with a, almost an hour stop in the middle. So crazy weather. Welcome to Canada, right? <laughs> Adam is my nephew, and he's he and Holly are attending Tyndale. Well, Adam goes to a church in Parisan, has this amazing heritage. Now, I grew up there, but I wasn't a Christian when I lived there, but I got the opportunity to go back to that church. They tell me in the wintertime, back in the day, you know, the 30s, 40s, 50s, that people who lived quite a ways away would walk to church, and they would walk seven miles in the winter to church. And they would walk down the river system, the Seguin River system across Mill Lake, make their way to the Pentecostal church, milk the cows in the morning if they had cattle, and then they would make their way there, and they'd bring their lunch so they could eat, and then stay for the evening service. And those Pentecostals, you know, the early days, they prayed and they prayed. I feel sorry for those cows, that second milking must have gotten pretty late, nearly burst, I'm sure. <laughs> You know, I had a youth pastor once, a wonderful guy, and uh, I said to him, so how did it go on Friday night? He says, well, only two people showed up, so I canceled it. I said, pardon? Two people came through that storm, and you canceled it? I said, as long as you're working with me, never do that again. If one person shows up, that's important. G. Campbell Morgan is my favorite author. I get so blessed by his writings. He lived 100 years ago, died in 1940. G. Campbell Morgan couldn't make it to his regular church. And so one Sunday morning, he's on his way to church because of the storm. The preacher didn't make it. He went into a Methodist church, and a Methodist elder that was there who wasn't a preacher took the book, the Bible, and opened it up, and he quoted a scripture that said something like this. I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of you because I wasn't planning to say this. But he said, uh, he, he quoted the scripture and it said something about the voice of the Lord goes through the whole earth. Salvation is of the Lord. And that was the end of his sermon. And he said, salvation is of the Lord. And he quoted the scripture about four times, each time with a little more strength. And here's George Campbell Morgan, and he's there as a young guy, and he's not, a saved, not saved, he's not a Christian. And finally, the man says, with his finger pointing down, he says, young man, salvation is of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. That's what the scripture is, today. And he gave his heart to the Lord. <laughs> well, if you need to give your heart to Jesus today, you're going to have an opportunity. You just talk to one of us that are leaders and just say, I would like to ask Jesus into my heart. So I pray that the Lord will have something special for you today. Yesterday was my son's 40th birthday and nine grandchildren and all a house full of people leaving after supper last night. My wife's still there looking after the grandkitties. Anyway, in all of that busyness, I forgot to bring something to you. And what that little something is, is a horseshoe nail. <laughs> And you'll see a picture of it in a second. Benjamin Franklin said this about the horseshoe nail. He said, for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. The horseshoe. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. 
For the want of a horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the battle was lost. For a want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. All for the want of a horseshoe nail. Everybody is important, amen. Sometimes we think, you know, we need to be the captain. This church is doing wonderfully, have done wonderfully through all the things you've been through, COVID, the loss of your pastor. And I was amazed at all the people that are a part of of Warden Church. And so God bless you, those that are working. And some of you are looking for a place, so Pastor Connie can see you at the back. Any of those ministries that you're interested in, she'll be there. Take down your name, and you better better believe it, you're going to get a phone call. Well, I worked with pastors for almost 25 years, and uh, one thing I learned about how to be successful in ministry, and, and, and basically, sometimes a misplaced perspective. There's a little story about an elephant and a mouse. And together they walked across this wooden bridge. And when we got to the other side, the mouse looked up at the elephant and said, Man, did we ever make that bridge shake? (laughs) Well, that's my understanding of ministry. I'm the mouse, right? And, And yet I still, God's will is that I walk with the elephant, with God. And that great things are done when... When he uses me, even though I know the real story, right? As I was praying here on Monday and thinking about what I was going to preach on, the scripture came to me because sometimes we think, well, you know, does God really need us? And this passage in Romans that I, I read over and over and kept finding such more, so much more strength to it is Romans 10. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. However... Paul says in the next verse, how will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? (laughs) So God needs us. I know that. Yeah, I know the elephant and the mouse, all of that. The title of the message today is, They Didn't Come to Help the Lord. Strange thing. Some people get upset when they see that. But uh, we're going to stand together, read a couple Old uh, New Testament scriptures. Let's read it. We'll do it in unison. Whenever I preach from the Old Testament, you'll be getting a break next week. I'm going to the New Testament for a few weeks. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 6, 11. Let's read it together. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our heart on evil things. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You ever thought of that last verse? We're living in the day, the church age, the kingdom age, and we're living in the fulfillment of the ages. All those ages before. This is the most exciting time to live. Jesus is coming soon. He's going to set up the kingdom. Hallelujah. He's already bought and paid for it, right? As we were seeing today. One more verse. You know this one in Romans 15. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May God bless that word to our hearts. Amen. You may be seated. 
A few years ago, my first visit to Israel out of two, I've only been there twice, our tour guide, who was an Orthodox Jew background, he was uh, taking us on different places, telling us the different histories, and we were standing on Megiddo, which is where the, com- the old communi- community of com- Megiddo is. Megiddo, looking north, looks across this vast valley, the Valley of Armageddon. And uh, back in the background is Mount Tabor, and Mount Tabor is where Saul thought he would you know, go to the witch and find out you know, what Samuel had to say, if you know that story, a little bit of uh, kind of goofed up there, and, and she got surprised when Samuel didn't show up. It wasn't a familiar spirit. It was the real guy. But anyway, sorry, distracted you. Uh, so we're, we're on Megiddo, and we're looking, and this man was a Jew. Amnon was his name, was so full of national pride that he had tears in his eyes when he told the story of the Israelites defeating the Canaanites during the time of Deborah and Barak, her captain. And he pointed down to the Kishon River, which, of course, at that time of year was dried up. wasn't any river there. I guess at times it overflows and it gets kind of mucky around there. But I can always remember he told the story. and He was so proud of what God had done through Deborah and Barak when God was fighting the wars for Israel. It was, it was just a beautiful time. In the, uh, I want to show you a maps a few times today, but as you look at these maps, you'll see a red arrow. And what I'm trying to do by the red arrow is just point you to the place where uh, these different things took place. The first arrow is in Megiddo and Armageddon, and there's a little, uh, that's where the war took place. And you'll see different tribes or provinces, if you want to call them, from different people in Israel. So that's kind of what I'm doing. It's just to help us get an idea. It'll make the, help the message make a little more sense. There's a, a text. Now let me tell you about this. Chapter 4 is, this, is the battle. Chapter 5, the day that they beat the Canaanites, the Spirit of God came upon Deborah. And in the spirit of prophecy, she wrote a song, a prophetic song, about what had just happened. It says in the, uh, in the 23rd verse, Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord, who we know was Jesus, curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. And then somebody we'll meet later is this lady called Jael. Most blessed is Jael. Well, we'll get around to that in a bit. Cursed is Miraz, because they didn't come to help. Now, if a person said that, I would say, well, it's just their way of saying it. But no, Jesus said, cursed is Miraz, because they didn't come to help me, basically. Isn't that interesting? The story of Deborah, you got some notes today just to help you out. Deborah, as you see, was a prophetess. She was a judge. She was a leader. She was a poet. And she was a mother, the mother of Israel. It says in the scripture, this is the lady, Deborah. So let's read, the, you just follow along as I read this, try the best I can. Starting at verse 1, it says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud, the previous judge, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Her- Hersheth Haggim. Because he had 900 
iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the people of Israel for 20 years, they finally said, God help us. Like, 20 minutes is enough for me. I'm going to say, God help me. Next verse. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their dispute settled. That's the kind of person she was, the judge. She sent for Barak, the captain, general, a son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, that's one of the provinces, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, take, go, take with you 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor, that mountain I told you about. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, from way up there in the mountain down to this Kishon River, and I'll give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. <laughs> but if you don't go with me, I'm not going, Deborah. I need you. <laughs> Certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of this course that you're taking, the honor will be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. And all the women said, so what's the problem here, right? In that culture, that was apparently a bit of a problem. So Deborah went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak summoned Zebulun, another tribe, and Naphtali with 10,000 men. They went up under his command. Deborah also went up with them. As you're reading this in your Bible, you come to the 11th verse, and it's like a parenthesis, because later on they're going to introduce Jael, the wife of Heber. But let's, let's, let's meet her and her husband, at least. Now, Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobet, Moses' brother-in-law, that's the connection, and pitched his tent near the great tree near Kadesh. And they... T- when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from... We're back to the story, by the way, in verses 12 and 13. Sisera summoned from Harasheth, Haggim, and through the Kishon River, all his men and 900 iron chariots. Verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. (laughs) That's what that Amnon got so, the the tour guide got so excited about and emotional. And all his chariots and the army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. The next verse, Barak poured or pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Haggaiim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Now Sisera, the captain, meanwhile fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. Remember him? The Kenite, because there was an alliance between this king of, of Hazor or Canaan and the family of Heber the Kenite. Next verse, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. This is where it becomes, I guess, 14a. You know. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk. Smart lady. Milk just makes you want to sleep, right? 
and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of, of the tent, Sisera told her. If someone comes by and says and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg, this is where it's 14a, and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and she drove the tent peg into his temple into the ground and he died. Isn't that a nice sight? Well, just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and J.L. went out to meet him. Come, she said, I'll show you the man you're looking for. So he went with her and lay there, there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Can the Canaanites, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. And I think, if I get ahead of my notes here, is there another slide with those verses again? I can't remember. Okay, well, we'll just, we'll get to them. They didn't come to help the Lord. Curse Miraz, we've already looked at it, you don't have to put the slide up, said the angel of the Lord, because they did not come to help the Lord against the, um, against the mighty, and most blessed be this woman, J.L. Well, Queen Elizabeth passed away last September. I believe it was the 8th. What a great lady. Before I was born... Uh, 1953, uh, the year before I was born, uh, she had her coronation, and she sent out an, an invitation to all the dignitaries of the Commonwealth. And this is what it read like in good old King James English. We greet you well, whereas we have appointed the 2nd of June, 1953, for the solemnity of the coronation. These are therefore to will and to command all excuses set apart that you make personal attendance upon us at the time above mentioned, there to do and to perform such services as shall be required of you. Honorables, Prime Minister Louis Saint, Saint Laurent, you be there. I don't care if it's your birthday. I don't care if you sprained your ankle or you're on crutches. I don't care. You be there. All excuses set apart. If you're going to be a part of the Commonwealth then you be a part of the commonwealth. <laughs> Can you read the, the sternness and the, to that whole letter? I just thought that was kind of cool. Well, we need some volunteers, obviously. We've got so many people involved here at uh, Warden, but we still need some more people. What about volunteer? What about serving the Lord? Isn't it enough just to come to church and read your Bible and pray? That's, that's really important, of course. Matthew chapter 20, when Jesus is giving a parable or a story about what the church age would look like, he said, uh, the kingdom of heaven, or the church age, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. His purpose was that he would go out and find people, and he went throughout the day even to five o'clock in the afternoon and hired people for an hour because there was work to do in the vineyard. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul, talking about serving and working, said, we must all appear as Christians when we die before the judgment seat of Christ, that we, each one, shall may receive what's due him for the things done while it's in the body, whether good or bad. And finally, another parable by Jesus of the ten mina. Ten servants are given each a mina, which is like an opportunity to serve. All of us have that. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a man of noble birth who went to a distant country and gave uh, to have himself appointed as king and then to return. You see, this is the Jesus thing. So he called ten of his servants together and gave them each a mina, and he said, put this money to work until I come back. My grandma was a, a church attender once in a while. Grandpa never went. But she had this plaque in, her, in the living room. It always fascinated me But what it said. You know, we were not church people, but it said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Hmm. Boy, that just spoke to me for years and years. I get blessed every time I think about it. There are times in our lives when we need to stand back and take a good, hard look at the way we've been serving the Lord. And this is one of those messages. And so the staff... And the board are looking for people to come along, come on board and help us out. It's too easy to, for our service to fall into patterns of judging or routine duty. It's too easy, and the tendency is just to become religious. January's a good time. So some of you made some resolutions in January. I'm going to do this. This year, I'm going to get more involved at Warden. Well, we have a pastoral transition coming up. And when your new pastor gets here, he's going to be so excited about the staff and about the board and about all the people that are a part. And he wants all of you. you know, God wants all of you. What, what a wonderful surprise he's in for when he meets all of you. So I envy him a little bit. I'm past beyond that. <laughs> so every New Year's people make resolutions and pledges and commitments and somehow they don't always translate into action. So here we are at the 29th. I hope you haven't given up already. Still time. The Song of Deborah was written in Judges chapter 5. It provides a reminder and a template, really, for those of us to take today and have an accurate analysis of just how we're doing in our service for the Lord. The Song of Deborah in Judges chapter 5 is apparently, by those who understand Hebrew, a wonderful, beautiful piece of Hebrew literature. I don't appreciate it. I'm English. I don't know Hebrew, but I take their word for it. Deborah was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this prophetic song found in Judges 5 the day that Sisera and the troops of Canaan were defeated. The very day. And the day God gave Barak and Deborah this great victory over the Canaanites and Sisera. In this song, we discover it was pretty desperate times. It says for 20 years they were oppressed. It was very desperate times. Those of us who live in Canada and have been born and raised here have no idea how wonderful it is to live in a free country compared to those that aren't. We see the news enough, we can get an idea. We don't know what it's like to be occupied by an enemy nation. Most of us don't know what it's like to be a prisoner in our own homes. But in those days, the highways were bare, basically empty. If you wanted to travel to see friends or do business, you tried to sneak around the back way because those open roads were dangerous places. You had to sneak around the back way. The people who lived in the open country vacated their homes because there was no protection, forced to move into the cities. It says in this great song of Deborah, in verse 7, village life in Israel ceased. It's a sad day when that happens. We need country and city folk, don't we? We need the country folk. 
Even the cities weren't safe. The cities were under siege during those days. The army itself had been reduced in number, and the people were totally unequipped. Look at this verse. War came to the city gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. Think about it. They don't have weapons of warfare. Why did this happen? New gods were chosen. That's what happened. And that's what happens when we choose other gods than the Lord Almighty. We are defenseless against a greater and stronger enemy. God's people had turned to other gods and the power of God had departed from them, leaving them powerless against their enemies. In chapter 4, as we have previously read, it says God sold them into the hands of their enemies. The Canaanites ruled over them. Jabin was their king. Sisera was the commander of this great army and had 900 iron chariots. They didn't have a sword or a spear. The Canaanites ruled over them. Israel was in a desperate situation, so they called out to God for help. And God sent his help through a brave woman and a brave captain or general. Our world, our country is in a desperate situation today, not anything like that. In some ways, yeah, we, we're in a desperate situation. We need an awakening today of the Holy Spirit in the churches so that the church becomes mobilized as never before. Well, it's, it's, it's tough and easy and nice and all that to live in Laodicea, a blessed place, but it has its downside, doesn't it? Jesus reminds us in the Scripture, the harvest is plentiful. They're, they're white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. So he said, pray the Lord of the harvest. So we pray as a staff. So we pray as a church board, as leaders. So we pray as a church that God would send forth laborers. Do you hear the call today? I'm just a horseshoe nail. What good am I, right? Well, well, it says in the script, I was reading this some time ago, and I came to the fourth chapter. And the 15th verse just rang in my heart. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. And I thought, that's the God I serve. He does it all. He does it at my advance. All I do is put my foot forward, and he does the rest. He makes that bridge shake, right? And then, as I continued on the next day into chapter 5, I came to this strange verse that made me go back and look at my journal. It says, at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera. And the next one says, curse Miros because they didn't come to help the Lord. What is this oxymoron? What is this paradox? How can this be? That God did it all in chapter 4, and now he says, there's some people who didn't come to help us in this battle. So it might appear like a contradiction, but I think what God is doing is he's waiting for Barak's move. God wants to do great things through each one of our lives, doesn't he? He's done some wonderful things through us. He wants to do more. There is no such thing as retirement. I'm 68. And when the opportunity comes to come to a wonderful place like this and fill in for a few weeks, and, you know, it's not an accident. Pastor Robert, you know, he's just like me, only he's a little bit older. Oh, I should say a lot older than me. (laughs) Pastor Robert says, my wife and I have this arrangement. She gives me nine months, I give her three months. <laughs> well, he's still going today because he's a servant of the Lord. 
And I think that three months in Florida would be good for anybody at our age, you know. Well, that's Pastor Robert. He's here to serve the Lord. And whenever there's an opportunity, as long as I have breath and health, I want to serve the Lord. I want to be a blessing if I can. And so I'm here, maybe by accident, poor Pastor Steve. We need to pray for Pastor Steve Challoner. He couldn't be here. He would have enjoyed his ministry. He's a wonderful hero to me. But you're stuck with me. But I'm stuck with you, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Well, there was a great battle that was won that day and a formidable enemy destroyed, but God didn't act alone. He opted to use people, and he does the same thing today. As a matter of fact, from all implications of this story and what I understand for the rest of the Bible too, God would not have acted unless Barak and Deborah did something that day. They would have been defeated. I remember going to a church once. It wasn't uh, one of our churches but there was a men's breakfast, and they asked me to speak, so I went there, and there was a, a guy who was a brand-new convert. You know, Looked like he might have been in prison before at one time. He was kind of a rough-looking guy, but, man, could he put together a breakfast. And so I said to him, this was a wonderful breakfast. Good job. Thank you. Good job on the eggs and all of this stuff. And he says, oh, I didn't do a thing. God did it all. <laughs> you know what? Oh, yes. We have this funny idea when we get saved. If I take credit for something, God's up there and says, don't you take credit for this. <laughs> hey, when you, somebody does something good, you say thank you for that good job, and you say thank you, and in our heads we know if it wasn't for him, right? Well, anyway, that was just something that made me laugh that day. Well, there's a great battle that day, and a formidable enemy was facing them, and God refused to fight without people involved. And that's always been his way. So the call of ar to arms went out through to all the tribes, or at least most of them. And there are two types of responses when the call went out. And the same thing happens in the church today. So that's why this is an example <laughs> for us today. There was a volunteer spirit among some of the tribes, and there was a reluctant spirit on the part of other, some of the tri other tribes. So let's look at the volunteer spirit. Very easy. First of all, Deborah, right? She arose, a mother in Israel, and she recruited Barak, who was the second volunteer, and motivated him by the promises of God. She said to him, the Lord commands you, go and take 10,000 men with you from Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way up Mount Tabor, and I will lure Syria, Sisera, and the commander of the Javan's army with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River, I'll give him into your hands. The heart of the plan was to take 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun and go and attack Sisera, who had 40,000, right? And iron chariots. Sounds simple to understand. Sisera was enormously powerful, as I've already mentioned. The Israelites were virtually unarmed, according to this song that we read. And the plan was to attack him head-on in the valley of Armageddon, that open plain, no rocks to hide behind, no trees to hide behind, whatever. The Israelites were virtually vulnerable and weak, and Sisera was at his very strongest in the open plain. So let me ask you a question. How do you inspire, recruit 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun who don't have an, a spear and a sword, against these hopeless odds and certain death. How do you do that? I have one answer for you. You ask. 
Hallelujah. (laughs) That's it. Why is it so easy to do? Why is it so hard to believe? Well, one thing we have to realize is if this is God's idea, then God's going to touch your heart. And he's going to 10,000 people come to help against hopeless odds. Think about it. There's not a chance for them to survive in the natural. The call goes out to the neighboring tribes. An astonishing thing takes place. It says in verse 9, My heart is with Israel's princes and the willing volunteers among the people. Hallelujah. Thank God for willing volunteers. This is not, you know, Volunteer Sunday appreciation. There was an appreciation around Christmas. We just want to say thank you for everybody that's involved that make this church work from Sunday to Sunday. Amen? Thank God for them. Amen. And Barak didn't have to twist arms. He didn't have to trick them into a commitment. He just followed Deborah's example and asked. And then verse 13, it says, Those that were left, there's only a remnant, they came to Barak. There was a few others that came along. Well, so let's look at the notables. Issachar. It says, the princes of Issachar. That's a tribe close by. Deborah, yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley of Armageddon. <laughs> Can you picture this? The tribe, people from the tribe of Issachar, they rush in to disaster in the natural But God had touched their hearts. God is touching people's hearts today. And when you come out and listen to Pastor Connie on February 11th, Saturday, February 11th, God will touch your heart. Amen. And you're just going to want to do something that the Holy Spirit's going to inspire you to do. It says, the people of Zebulun, they risked their very lives as did Naphtali. Also, Ephraim, Benjamin, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And there they are. They're all kind of in that same area because Megiddo is just north of that arrow's point. That's where the battle was. So you see Ephraim is there. Benjamin is there. You see Issachar. You probably can't read it. But anyway, they're all close by, and they responded when the call went out. So there were these six notable tribes that came with a volunteer spirit. My pastor used to tell this story about getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and the power that comes to you. And he talked about this mouse that was in this factory where they were making liquor. And the mouse was going along the top rail and fell into the barrel. And the little mouse gets himself up out of that barrel and he looks around and he says, Where's that cat? You get filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, where's that devil, right? I'm coming in the name of Jesus. Well, they were volunteers, and they risked their lives. Well, there was also the reluctant spirits. Five tribes did not respond to the call. Judah isn't mentioned. But anyway, there were those with the reluctant spirit. Deborah talks in her song about these, and they represent four reluctant attitudes that can paralyze Warden from being able to do all that God wants them to do in the future. The volunteer tribes are seen rushing into battle, risking their lives, and God says, my heart is with the willing volunteers. God bless you today. Don't give up. Well, the first tribe we look at is Reuben. In the districts of Reuben, 
that's the oldest boy, there was much searching of heart. The Holy Spirit is searching some hearts today, by the way, who aren't involved in this church. Why do you stay by the campfires to hear the whistling of the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Hmm. Well, let's have a look at the map. Just quickly, see where Reuben is down at the bottom? A little ways from Megiddo. They're far away on the other side of the Jordan. They settled there. Well, when they heard the call to arms, their emotions were stirred. And their hearts were moved. During the worship or the preaching, they were moved. But their feet didn't move, (laughs) just their hearts. They stayed at home listening to the shepherds piping their sheep. I call Reuben the tribe that lacked action. In every church, there are those that are not active. Now, some of you are not active in Warden, but you're active in service for the Lord. I belong to Perry Sound Church, Bayview, or Bayside Family Church, and I send my tithes there, but I'm never around. <laughs> so we do ministry sometimes outside of Warden. The most important thing is that we do ministry, right? That's the most important thing. Anyway, I like this group. They're the, Reuben, they're the committee group. They don't act. They always, you can see them meeting together, holding debates, passing resolutions, drilling the army, but that's as far as it. They didn't have that, let's get around to it. They stayed at home listening to their shepherds sing the songs to the sheep so they would sleep that night. They never heard the blast of the war trumpets, so they were moved by sentiment, but not with sacrifice. Then there's Gilead, represents two tribes or one and a half. And historically, they never crossed the Jordan River after the the conquest with Joshua. And it says that uh, in the scriptures that they did not respond as well. Gary Ingrid said, a voluntary lack of fellowship with other believers will inevitably produce a lack of enthusiasm for God's work. I call these the tribes that lacked fellowship. They decided, we want to stay east of the Jordan. We like what we see here, Joshua. We'll help you, you know, chase the enemies out from the promised land, but we want to live here. They seem to lack the fellowship. Soon, we're going to, you're going to have a church. Is the, could I see the map of that just for a second? So you see where they are. There's that little green area at the top of the arrow, and then Gilead is, is both the tribe of Gad and the other half of Manasseh. And so they were on the other side, and they didn't respond as well. We come to the third response, the tribe of Dan, that I say is the tribe that lacked growth. In verse 17 it says, And Dan, why did Dan linger by the ships? Dan was in two different places, way up in the north and then by the Mediterranean Sea down at the bottom. The tribe of Dan in the Bible as we read them carefully, we will find out that they went from greatness to obscurity. In Numbers 1, when they number the tribes, Dan is number two, second largest tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Judges chapter 1, by the end, or chapter 18, I should say, by the end, we learn that the Ammonites, they weren't able to chase the Ammonites out of their territory, so they, they, they kind of coexisted. And then, as we go along, we find out that they didn't grow spiritually. 
Come to chapter 18, and they are the first of the 12 tribes to go into apostasy. You don't want to read chapter 18. You can't believe the horrors that you read of what it was like to live in Dan, a village in Dan in those days. As a matter of fact, when it comes to Chronicles later, the historian doesn't even list the tribe of Dan. You come to the book of Revelation and you know the 144,000 from the 12 tribes, you won't find Dan because they lacked growth spiritually. If you lack growth spiritually, you're not going to be found volunteering. And then the last one, Asher. Well, Asher's up in the top corner, right in the Mediterranean Sea. What a beautiful place to live. Phoenicia is another place. There they lived, focusing entirely on their work, their ships, their fishing, their docks, their trading, their beaches, you know, all of that nice stuff. They had no vision for God's work, no sense of the significance of their position geographically that they would have had in God's program and an understanding of their mission that God would have them do in the world. So as a result, also, Asher did not have any volunteers. So the question we ask today, are we rushing into battle on the heels of our commander, the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what? You're going to get a pastor soon, a lead pastor. And I, I'm praying that you'll be people, you'll find people like First Chronicles chapter 12, 33, men of Zebulun, experienced soldiers prepared for battle. Pastor Connie is going to prepare you with every kind of weapon. Hallelujah. And to help David with undivided, to help your new pastor with undivided loyalty. Willing to help your staff and pastor and board and other church leaders with undivided loyalty. And you come to the end of this song, summarizes it, describing these volunteers. It says in verse 31, that they who love the Lord will be like the sun when it rises in all its strength. If you are faithful and serve the Lord, you're going to shine for all eternity. Daniel says in chapter 12, those who are wise will shine like the brightness in the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forevermore. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, it says it like this, that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and perverse, depraved generation in which you, right now, shine as stars in the universe as you hold out this word of truth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Warden is a shining star in this community at Scarborough. Hallelujah. Yes, it says, the angel of the Lord says, curse miras. The angel of the Lord. I talked about it uh, in my previous sermon when I talked about Hagar, in chapter 16, we meet the angel of the Lord, or Christ, the God. And after he appears, she says, it says, She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, not an angel. You are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. In Judges, the parents of Samson, you know, the wife was told you're going to have a baby, and husband didn't believe it. So, Jesus, the angel of the Lord. Talk about amazing grace and mercy. He shows up and talks to Manoah. And it says, after he talks, he says, your wife is going to have a baby. And he says, we're doomed to die because we have seen God. Not that we have seen an angel. In Joshua, the angel of the Lord appears and he has another title. 
He's called the captain of the hosts or the armies of God. Now when Joshua was near Jericho and that fortified city was there with thick walls, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn. This is the key part, the sword drawn in the hand of the angel of the Lord. Who are you, Joshua said. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua said, what message does my Lord have for me? Hallelujah. God, what do you have? In Numbers chapter 22, a really bizarre story, but an angel of the Lord appears to this man called Balaam, and his donkey has to talk to him to bring some sense to him. (laughs) And he And God opens his eyes and it says, And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing with his sword in his hand, drawn. David numbered the tribes. We read this last week in another message. It says, David looked up and he saw the angel of the Lord standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn. What is the message that our Lord Jesus Christ has for those of us here at Warden today? The message is this, this morning. The Lord is with us, amen? Hallelujah. The Lord is with us. His sword is drawn. He's going to make that bridge shake. But he wants you and me to be beside him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all of his troops. The Lord is waiting for our response. His sword is in his hand. He will do the fighting for me. Amen? Hallelujah. The battle is the Lord's. It's not my battle. Only one life is soon going to be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Yes, we need servants here at Warden. Absolutely. But God needs servants here. The angel of the Lord Jesus himself says, I want you to come and help the cause of the gospel. And... Pastor Con has made mention of those ministries. When I was in Bible college, a girl who was a friend of another girl that was my girlfriend at the time gave me a poem, and I put it in my Bible because it was so good. There's a corner somewhere alone that, uh, that I alone can fill. Just me. If I should fail to take my place, no one else ever will. It's all a part of his great plan. That each, each a worker be, and somewhere in this vineyard wide, my Lord needs me. Hallelujah. God bless you for working for the Lord. All the glory goes to Him. He gives me the power. He gives me the anointing. He gives me the help. He gets all the glory, but the Lord needs us. And there's things that we can do for Him that no other human being can do in the same way with the same success because of the things that we've gone through, because of who we are. There's things that we can do. We need to be involved as a servant, as a laborer, as one putting our mina to work to see what we can gain in interest before the Lord should return. For the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the want of a horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the battle was lost. For the want of the battle... The kingdom was lost, all for the want of a horseshoe nail. God help us at Warden. We're horseshoe nails, aren't we? Every one of us, we all have a part. And God says in his word that he wants us and he needs us. Heavenly Father, as the worship team comes now, we think of the things that uh, 
we have heard today is your word today. Thank you for the example. As we listen today, we, we find we have hope in our hearts. We find we're encouraged. We're, we're encouraged even to go at insurmountable odds because the cause is worth giving our lives for. So bless your people today that are laborers. These folks behind me on the worship team, Lord, they come every Sunday to serve the Lord. So I thank you for them. And I just pray that you'll bless them. And Lord, touch our hearts, we pray. We give our lives to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, worship team. Let's stand together as the worship team comes.